New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is out of the running, but it's what he has to say about the Republican Party that we should all be paying attention to. I'm Matt Robeson. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable Show, part of the Beyond Politics podcast, which of course is on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're into audio podcasts, which is so like last year, but apparently for a lot of people, it's still a real thing. Joined as always by former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. Someday, Alicia, we're going to compact your byline there into one word. One word. What's your one word? You're a con- analyst. You're a con- rock star. I'll go rock with rock There I'll it is. I'll go with rock star. That works. Speaking- Speaking of rock star, the North Star in your sky, Chris Sununu has announced that he is not going to run for president this time around. He put out a Washington Post op-ed. Look, it did contain some of the stand. While I could have won, actually, he was more artful about it. He did say the the path to winning was clear. That's, That's artful. That's standard. But it's the rest of what he had to say that I thought we should really talk about for a few minutes. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote from him and I want to just get your reaction to it. He says that since 2017, the national Republican party has lost up and down the ballot in red States and in blue States that will happen again, unless we Republicans undergo a course correction. He goes on to say to win, we need to, we need our message to appeal to new voters. We can do this without sacrificing classic conservative principles of individual liberty, low taxes and local control. But we must abandon the issues that are solely made for social media headlines, such as banning books or issuing curriculum fiats to local school districts hundreds of miles away from the state capitol. And he fi- he finishes this section of his op-ed by saying, we need to expand beyond the culture wars that alienate independents, young voters, and suburban moms. Republicans must offer an optimistic blueprint to prioritize issues that connect with these voters addressing the homelessness crisis, imposing fiscal responsibility, reducing inflation, securing our borders, becoming energy independent, all while championing their individual personal freedoms before they permanently move away from the Republican Party. Alicia, I got to give you dibs on this, even though I like to go to Paul first in deference to his his station in life. But Chris, and he's Nunu, not a rock star. Actually, that's funny because he, he actually is. He is literally I know, a rock he's star. literally a rock star. Literally that's so funny. <laughs> well-known musician and also occasional congressman, Paul Hodes. So Alicia, you're obviously a big Chris Sununu fan, but you also mm-hmm. are a never Trump conservative and a Republican. What did you make of this? It, it, this feels well, I'm gonna... an honesty bomb. It, it, it was great. But first of all, I'm not a never Trumper. And while I say that is because that's become some trite little title that uh, people who don't like fellow Republicans are. So while accurate with a little N, people use it with a capital N, like a title. So I'm going to steer away from that because it's childish and stupid. No offense, Matt. Look, I thought it was a fantastic op-ed. I think he said what so many of us are saying. My phone was ringing off the hook yesterday and this morning with people coming out of the woodwork who had been bunkering down on their opinions of this, who agree with him and feel there's almost this like shelter over them now that if a guy with a 60 plus percent approval rating in New Hampshire can say that, hey, I can come out and say this now without getting eggs thrown at me in the street. He was right on. It was really interesting if you dive into it, because there's this indication he's going to endorse somebody that he thinks can beat Trump. And so the question is, who is that? Well, if you look into it, he took quite a few swipes at DeSantis, all the things you just mentioned. And Mm -hmm. it was said to, now he was on a radio show program this morning in New Hampshire and was asked if he could endorse DeSantis. And he, I forget his exact words, but it's not off the table. 
And I so he took a few swipes at DeSantis in this op-ed and told him, gave him a guideline. And I, I compared it to what Chris Nunu has said, maybe he wants to be, maybe it's a good place to be like a national referee. And maybe he just gave DeSantis a yellow card. It was like, caution there, Governor DeSantis. If you want to go far, you got to abandon these things and get back to the conservative principles. And so I think Chris Nunes is right. I think this is a good place for him. I think we need this. I think more Republicans than not agree with him across the country. And where he takes this position he's taking of national referee of the Republican Party will be interesting to see. And hopefully it's beneficial to the party as a whole and thereby, in my opinion, to the country. Paul, I have to say that in my experience around you as a member of Congress and as a, for lack of a better word, as a politician, the list of values and issues that Governor Sununu rattled off in that op-ed addressing homelessness, imposing fiscal responsibility, reducing inflation, securing borders, and becoming energy independent, these are not issues that would have made you throw up as a candidate for Congress, as a member of Congress, and now in your current incarnation as you develop clean energy solutions. That sounds like a pretty reasonable list of priorities. It's frighteningly reasonable. It scares the hell out of me as a Democrat. And it, it all sounds great. So let me, for the moment, not act go into Sununu's actual record, despite his rhetoric because his record and his rhetoric often don't match, but his rhetoric in this case is pretty good and it, uh, should be a real warning sign for Democrats. And we can always talk about where the Democratic Party is. Recently, we've seen some numbers indicating that young voters are not moving towards Democrats as enthusiastically as Democrats would hope. Matt, on another show we do, on the Beyond Politics show, we talked about what's happening to African-American voters who are not as enthusiastic about Democrats as Democrats would believe. Nothing should frighten Democrats more than a Sununu-type resurgence of the Republican Party, where sanity rules and a loyal opposition deals with Democrats on the issues that we need to deal with for the country. Because frankly, while they have suffered nothing but losses from the crazy wing of the MAGA party, if the Republican Party rediscovers its soul and true conservative pr principles and statesmanship will rule the day for Republicans, not only is the country better off, but the Republican Party will be better off, and Democrats will have a real tussle on their hands. And the challenge is, it's amazing that Democrats already have a real tussle on their hands. Imagine what happens when the GOP comes back to its senses. You can just see Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina kind of pulling his hair out, reading this, and he's, I'm here, everyone. I'm, this is, this is what I'm saying. Let's return to a kind of, granted, Paul, I hear what you're saying, that the rhetoric doesn't always match the reality of what Republicans do in office, but at least in intent, in rhetoric, in, in what you're trying to say and do, let's return to what we were saying 30 years ago. That, that seems like a pretty reasonable formula. And I got to say, a refreshing one for me as a Democrat, because I don't want to be arguing about the culture issues. I just, I don't. I think like most Americans, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I don't want to go around calling Republicans bigots because they take these hardline positions. 
that frankly, frequently do fall into the realm of bigotry. And I don't think that that's really where the Republican Party wants to be. I pine for a time where we could have arguments. I'm not saying America was great once before, and I want to make it great again, but I would like to have arguments about fiscal policy. I'd like to have arguments about what's the proper role of Department of Education. We're going to circle back to that in a few minutes. These are issues where we can disagree. We can find common ground, like Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden just did on the debt ceiling. They reached a pretty decent deal that was making the extreme ends of the parties unhappy. But most people, yeah, that was not a bad deal. I do want to circle back, though, to the beginning of the op-ed, and I was making a little joke about this a second ago. It is standard issue politics speak. It's like, while I could have won, I choose not to run, which is very Seinfeld-esque. Um, and that but always kind every of leads, single politician announced every regardless of party, it's always standard to do that. I don't know why. And, well, I don't know why. As a columnist person, I don't know why. I don't know what you're achieving. No but everyone does it. Democrats, Republicans, whatever. Yeah, because you try to say, I'm keeping my powder dry, you people. I'll be back. I'm not going away. I'll be back for the next You're round. You're keeping your options open. Yeah, if you say, I can't win this race, then it makes you look weak and weakness is provocative. But you don't have to address it. You don't have to say one way or another. You literally can just be like, I'm not running because this is what I think a better role for me is. Let's cut through it then. When he says this, I don't think anyone here believes that what he's really thinking on truth serum is could have been president, but I just love the fourth term as governor of New Hampshire so much. And I'm looking forward so much to my role shepherding the party through the first in the nation primary that I'm going to forego. That's clearly not what's happening here. So what does it say? Is he right in his first analysis here with the real truth serum answer, which is I cannot win this primary on the platform that I lay out in the rest of this op-ed. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I have no idea what Chris Sununu thinks in his head and what strat 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 strategic conversations he's had and all of that. I have no idea. But from outside looking in, I don't think Governor Sununu could have won a primary. I don't think so because he is the New Hampshire governor and he would have to win New Hampshire. And as popular as he is with Republicans, independents, and even soft Democrats, it wouldn't happen because of DeSantis and Trump. And because there's too big of a pool of granite staters that are already in those two lanes. And so if he came out of New Hampshire third, even second, it's just a bad thrust out of the granite state to go somewhere else. So I, for that reason, I don't, I think it would have been a long shot. Look, there's often a path to victory. We've all been on campaigns where we talk about what is the path to victory, but it doesn't mean there's not a huge boulder in that way. You got to chisel out first. And I'm not sure that he could have done that. That being said, like I indicated, I think this is a good role for him. He is likable. He's affable. He's smart. I disagree with Paul that he hasn't kept his promises as governor and been exactly who he said he was. His rhetoric has matched his leadership which is why he's got a 60 plus percent approval rating in a state where everyone else on a big seat was elected by a Democrat was elected, except for Chris Sununu. And so I think he's got a good a good position to play. And I hope he continues to follow through with it. And I'm going to be most curious about who he chooses to endorse. It won't sway my vote anyway. I'm an undecided Republican primary voter, and I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. I do know who I'm not going to vote for, but I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. And But I think it'll be interesting to see what perspective he comes up with. 
By the Maybe way, the preferred he'll... term isn't soft Democrats. That's very old fashioned of you. I think that they prefer open-minded Democrat. Yeah. So, Campaigns when we're doing like, okay, who are we going to knock doors? Oh, there are some soft Ds over here. Let's go there. Yeah. Maybe Chris is going to join the Lincoln Project and maybe we'll see Doubt him. It. In, maybe we'll see him in ads for the Lincoln Project, really taking it to right to Trump and, and or DeSantis, who are focused on nothing but stupid social issues, which most Americans really have just gone past, except for perhaps 20% of hard right wing <laughs> insanity MAGA people who like to think that book banning and book burning and let's go. Oh, next thing, by the way, the Republican Party is they want to burn witches. That's about where the Republican Party is. And I think Sununa would do very well on the Lincoln Project. What was the political party of the leadership of Salem, Massachusetts, a few hundred years ago? They were all Republicans. Oh, uh, it was very clear. It was the early Republican Party. So she's a witch. Total tangent. This is what drives me nuts about when people keep saying it's a witch hunt on Donald Trump. Do you know where that term comes from? Does anyone know where that term comes from? It drives you, me batty every time. You know time what the I worst part of it is? is the number of witches that they found. There's a lot they of found them, yeah. a huge coven of witches and they're all doing horrible things inside the Donald Trump campaign. Oh. We're going right, to dunk Donald on. Trump and see if he floats. Let, yeah, that's right. All right, let's move on. I wrote an op-ed in Newsweek last week uh, that I, I set up as the Joe Biden paradox. And this morning, Politico Playbook waded right into it with their version of it. My version was, hey, Joe Biden has had a historically successful first two and a half years as president. If you look at the accomplishments and the legislation and the legislation that's led to the accomplishments, it's historically successful. And yet his approval rating is low and Democratic core Democratic base voters are not giving him the love. Paul, you alluded a moment ago to the fact that we had two expert pollsters on a couple of weeks ago who have documented how young Black voters are increasingly at odds with, no longer aligned with the Democratic Party. And we're seeing other core voters, in, including young voters, they're meh about the party. 27% of millennials and only 31% of Gen Z voters now choose to identify as Democrats what the hell, people? What the hell? And so Politico's version of that this morning was, what's with all the love for RFK Jr.? Why is he up to double digits? And in one poll, the CN poll, 20% support in the Democratic Party. Paul, I'm going to defer to you on this as the former Democratic U.S. congressman. Why? Let me take a little bit of a look under the hood and step back for a bigger and long-term view. Matt, by the way, I commend to people who are watching and listening your Newsweek article. It's really smart. You are a very smart guy. And the article is a very good article because it talks about what's going a long-term problem or question or challenge for Democrats that, Matt, you and I have talked about and tried to do something about. The first long-term issue for Democrats, and I know Democrats would disagree, is there's this underlying, it's, it goes beyond messaging. Uh, it's the sense that Democrats have not been able to deliver a coherent, consistent values message that is so powerful that it attracts people over a long term. If you ask people like Alicia or other people what Republicans stand for, at this point, while some caustic people like me would talk about 
um, insanity. What Alicia would talk about is the core values of conservatism, low taxes, strong family values, strong on defense, secure borders, and fiscal responsibility, or some version of what conservatives stand for. If you ask Democrats, you're going to get a lot of different answers because we're a very diverse party, but you're probably going to get an answer that focuses more on thinking about the extreme left wing values, so to speak, of the party, the more progressive values, which may be less attractive in an uncertain world environment to people who are looking for a party than a more progressive centrist view of the democratic values. So what I'm saying is there's a long-term problem for Democrats in who we are, what do we stand for. And this is even despite the clear distinctions between where Democrats are now and where the MAGA crazies are, there's still this long-term underlying issue. So that's number one. Number two is Republicans have long understood and followed a strategy of empower at the local level, of investing at the local level, on making sure that everybody from dog catcher to hog reeve to planning board to select person to constable to cemetery walker to is republicans Alicia preston for hogreave 2024 preston for hogreave but it it sounds funny but it's actually true because the republicans have had this long-term strategy of investing and thinking about the local level and it all filters up because that local level strength then filters up with a bench and with with a way to deliver the republican message for democrats We have been fighting internally. Think about the Howard Dean battles about a 50-state strategy. Are we going to have one? Are we not? Do we support our local parties or don't we? Where Democrats invest in local local elections, we do well. Where Democrats give it up and say, we don't really need a candidate, predictable things happen. So for Democrats, when do you say it's time to start a long-term strategy and invest in local races and really understand that right now, with a crazy divided government, the action is at the state level, and that's really where we need to start trying to take control, because that means a lot for what happens nationally. So those are my two points. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Alicia, I think the most important question is, what's a hogree? I was going to Google it, but he got wrapped up, so I didn't have time. To oh, well, can I give you the answer? Yes, Hogreave, also known as a hog constable, is a <laughs> colonial New England term for a person charged with the prevention or appraising of damages by stray swine. Wandering domestic pigs were a problem to the community to the extent of damage they could do to gardens and crops by rooting. And I just want to add that in Massachusetts, Towns could vote to stop enforcement of the state law against letting swine run loose. Many towns did so, leaving their hog reeves with nothing to do. As a result, it became a joke to elect a man hog reeve during the first year of his marriage. Alicia, let's bypass all of that. I'm just curious why there were so many hogs running around that weren't already bacon. That's lack of hunting capacity, which Mm. is why we have the Second Amendment. Alicia, what about the fact that RFK Jr. Mm. is pulling at 20% in the Democratic primary. I got to say, this is a guy who, beside his other wacky opinions, I want to get this right here. The New York Times said that he planned to travel to the Mexican border this week 
to try to formulate policies that will seal the border permanently. He called for the federal government to consider the war in Ukraine from the perspective of Russians. And he said pharmaceutical drugs were responsible for the rise of mass shootings in America. These do not seem to be the core opinions of the Democratic Party. What gives? I think there's so much at play here. Look, the Democratic Party is just as divided as the Republican one. It's just our division is louder and crazier, but it's just as divided. You talk about young people, they don't think Joe Biden is liberal enough. And you talk to mainstream Democrats and they think RFK is Everybody thinks Joe Biden's too old and they're looking for an off-ramp. And pretty much nobody wants Kamala Harris to end up being president. And so they're looking at alternatives. There's so much going on. Look, I got to be honest. It bothers me that Joe Biden is running for another term. And what I mean by that is the people around in the Democratic Party shouldn't have let him do it for him his, himself. I'm obviously not a Biden voter, but I've always respected the man. He's done a lot for his country over decades and decades. And they're letting a man who is too old. And by the way, Donald Trump's too old, too. I'm not just picking on Joe Biden but who is too old to be in that position to run again for the sake of saving a political win. And I think it's shameful. I don't think it should happen. I think they should open up that primary so that there can be a choice because otherwise, if Joe Biden is in office and reelected, and I the next thing I'm going to say, Lord, forgive me, I don't want this to happen, but it is a legitimate concern. If he doesn't make it through the term, Kamala Harris is going to be president. And people are talking about that. Democrat friends of mine are talking about their concern for that. And I actually think that's harming Biden's poll numbers. And what do they have left? RFK. Now, RFK is not going to be president. He's a whack job. But that's what they're looking at as the only opportunity. You're giving up on Marianne Williamson? Come on. Who? Mary Marianne Williamson? Wait a second. Come on. You're, you're was kidding. she the hog constable? She was not the hog reeve, but she was the she's been People think of her as the crystal lady. But, and by the way, there was just another article in the Daily Beast about Marianne Williamson because the 10 departing staffers from this year's campaign were talking about the Politico article about the 2020 campaign, which cited the abuse and craziness she visited on her former staff. And the 10 staffers who left from this campaign were saying, oh, my God, we found out that the political article was right. She's a complete looney tunes. What am I? What do I know? But anyway, just think about think about RF. I the what the Democrats are looking at is a new ticket. RFK Williamson or Williamson RFK. Now there's a prospect for you. The answer here is that there are sizable percentages of Americans who believe that there are aliens among us, who believe in Sasquatch, who believe in all kinds of things. And you can find support for amazing propositions in polling for just about everything. Early on, and Politico pointed this out, in, in 2010, in a Gallup poll, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton pulled in 37% of support among Democrats versus incumbent President Barack Obama, who is at 52%. I don't think that this is about age. I don't think that this is about dissatisfaction with Joe Biden qua Joe Biden. I think it's about the fact Democrats are at baseline unhappy and voters are at baseline unhappy. I have long objected to the use of approval rating as a tool 
to understand public opinion. It is the bluntest tool possible. It's asking a binary question of people. And what it's really asking them, are you happy or not? And lots of Americans remain unhappy. Despite Joe Biden's massive list of accomplishments, the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, the greatest growth in manufacturing jobs in 30 years, the greatest growth in a 24-month span in jobs at all in the history of measurement of job growth, despite all of those accomplishments, People are at baseline unhappy. There are disruptions in the economy. There has been high inflation for a year now. And I, no one likes the state of our political discourse. I think that's what this is reflecting. And I think the fact that support has landed on RFK Jr. is just due to the fact that he has a recognizable and historically recognizable name. And people have no idea how crazy he is. They know nothing beyond the name. I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. Just on your, I'm not going to take too much time on this, but on your list of all Joe Biden's accomplishments, there was a good analysis about the unemployment rate the other day, which pointed out that fewer people when they leave the jobs market are getting back in. And people are not happy with inflation. But when you look at things such as, and I think we've talked about this before post-COVID, when you look at things such as the cost of childcare, families said, it's now cheaper for me to stay home then have that job and pay for childcare. So there's a lot going on that's a lot deeper than just the straight numbers that we're looking at. And that's absolutely true. And the factors behind labor participation rate, which did fall about 2% and was disproportionately among women during the COVID-induced pandemic, that's something that we've covered actually on this show and on the Great Ideas show. And it is complicated, but labor participation rate is going back up. And obviously, unemployment that low. Look, if you're a conservative on economics, then you believe in the free market. And what we're seeing is clearly a consequence of the fact that it's a hot economy. Employers are looking for employees, and that gives employees tremendous bargaining power in their wages. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing inflation. It's a sign of there are a lot of things going well, but no, nonetheless, Americans are unhappy. And again, I think that's the root cause of what's going on. With that, we're going to take a break from this episode. We're going to be back with part two of this tomorrow and a really exciting segment that we haven't tried before that I'm really looking forward to. So for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. Peace.